Welcome to The Week Ahead in Russia, RFERL's Monday podcast about significant developments and upcoming events in Moscow and beyond. I'm Steve Gutterman, as I said, and my guest uh, today uh, is Chris Rickleton, a journalist who has been covering Central Asia for many years, including a recent stint as Central Asia Bureau Chief for Agence France Presse. Um, and Chris is now reporting from the region for RFERL. Welcome, Chris, and thanks for joining me today. Thanks very much for having me, Steve. All right, it's great to have you. As I, as I mentioned uh, in the intro, first-time guest, so uh, very happy to have you on the show. Um, now, Russia's war on Ukraine has been the main subject of this podcast almost every week uh, since Moscow launched its large-scale invasion of Ukraine in February, uh, almost eight months ago, I believe. This time, the war uh, will also loom large, but what I'd like to do is take advantage of Chris's expertise and talk about what's happening with Russia's relations uh, with other former Soviet republics, and particularly the countries of Central Asia. Obviously, these ties are being affected and altered by the war, uh, but there are also other developments that, that may be shaping or, or reshaping Russia's relations with Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, and Uzbekistan. Now, as usual, um, I'm going to ask two questions. Um, and my first question is about the Collective Security Treaty Organization, the CSTO, uh, an alliance uh, sometimes described as, as an attempted uh, Russian answer, I guess, to NATO. Um, it's an alliance that's dominated by Russia, and it includes Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and Tajikistan, as well as Armenia and Belarus. Chris, you wrote an article about the CSTO uh, this past week, whose headline was The Unhappy Club. Now, maybe the best way to get into this is to ask, essentially, what, what is going on with the CSTO? What, what is making it or some of its members unhappy? Is it uh, Russia's war on Ukraine or something else, or, or is it a combination of factors? Uh, thanks again, Steve. Hi, everybody. Uh, I think it's definitely a combination of factors uh, of which the war in Ukraine is, is a very big part because obviously the war in Ukraine has made membership of Russia-led clubs a kind of uh, toxic, uh, a, a kind of toxic thing. So uh, being a member now of, uh, of, of a Russia-led bloc uh, carries a certain reputational cost uh, even though um, none of the you know none of the members of the CSTO uh, bar Belarus have given kind of full-throated endorsement of Russia's war in Ukraine uh, there's this kind of uh, acknowledgement outside the club and maybe with inside the club as well that these countries are to a certain extent in in Russia's boat uh, and that's an unpleasant uh, boat to be in at the moment. And secondly, because Russia is so deeply focused on the invasion of Ukraine, uh, practically at the expense of all other uh, foreign policy priorities, um, that it no longer has the uh, energy, perhaps, uh, or the will or the interest to intervene in in things that are really, really important for countries in the CSTO, for instance, uh, in the case of Armenia, 
It's the it's the war with Azerbaijan. Uh, in the case of two members of the CSTO, Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan, uh, it's their mutual border conflict, and uh, particularly important for for Kyrgyzstan that Moscow intervened. Tajikistan was perhaps uh, less interested in in uh, Moscow's intervention, and I guess we'll be touching on that later. But there's this idea that Russia is so deeply involved in Ukraine that uh, it doesn't have the ability to act as a security guarantor uh, in the region that it has called its own uh, for such a long time. And so what we hear is, uh, you know, Nikol Pashinyan in in Armenia um, saying, you know, it's not that we want to leave the CSTO. Uh, or that we're going to abandon the CSTO, it's that we feel the CSTO has uh, abandoned us because from his perspective, uh, in the latest clashes uh, with with Armenia in September, you've got uh, Armenian strikes into Armenian territory proper, uh, not just Nagorno-Karabakh anymore, uh, and this feeling that... uh, you know, this is what this organization was set up to do, and it's not responding to that challenge. And he's also saying that, you know, one of the justifications that the CSTO provided was they're not really sure where the border is between Armenia and, and Azerbaijan. So he's saying, well, if, uh, you know, if you're not sure where the Armenian-Azerbaijani border is, then where's the CSTO's borders? You know, like the CSTO is facing existential questions because uh, it doesn't know what its purpose is uh, anymore. So that's the kind of uh, situation that the the bloc maybe, maybe finds it itself. And of course, it's whereas other organizations like uh, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization have China in it, uh, have China in them as, as well, um, this is very much... Uh, a Russia-led organization. So uh, the the focus of all the disappointment is is on Russia and why it's not fulfilling its role as a leader of this organization, essentially. Thanks. It's very interesting. I'm just going to apologize. I'm just going to... Um, I think you misspoke when you mentioned Armenian strikes. I, I think you were meaning to say Azerbaijani strikes. Yeah, yeah. In- Sorry, Azerbaijan. Yeah, sorry. I apologize for that. Yeah, no, no problem. It's, it's, it's obvious, but I just thought I'd. Um, uh, but very interesting. You mentioned kind of you know Pashinyan's uh, saying. Well, I think CSTO is abandoning us, and and I feel like for many years, I don't remember how long it's existed, but you know there was sort of talk about well, what is the CSTO really doing? Um, is it is it really doing anything? Um, and and that kind of changed maybe in the past few years with uh, with the war, um, you know, sort of the revived new war between Azerbaijan and Armenia and also um, CSTO presence in Kazakhstan after the unrest there. Um, so I feel like, uh, I mean, you're, uh, I'm not an expert, but it seems like Ru- sort of Russia's role as the CSTO leader w- was becoming more at least palpable or more visible uh, for a time there. But now that's changed again. 
um, and and perhaps changed, you know, gone gone beyond the, the, the way it was before, where you people are asking, well, what is the CSTO really doing? And here you're talking about uh, members saying they feel they've been abandoned, and, and you know, it plays into or what plays into it is kind of, I think, the Putin Russia's focus on Ukraine and and Putin's focus on Ukraine, which has been you know, seems has been called an obsession by many by many observers. Um, you know, something that can't be missed uh, by by members of the CSTO. But one other thing I'd like to ask is, um, and this is as sort of a non-expert on on, on that region, but um, is there also concern in terms of well, not not just looking at Russia as you know they're they're not they're not providing stability, but is there also concern? In some of the countries, like, are we next? For instance, in northern Kazakhstan, um, you know, where there are a lot of eth ethnic Russians. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely those concerns because uh, we're hearing those noises coming from Moscow uh, itself. Obviously, Vladimir Putin is is never going to talk in in a careless way about. Uh, invading Kazakhstan, but uh, but some of his, his deputies are doing that. There was um, a, a councillor in the uh, in the Moscow City Council that said something to that effect. Uh, there's uh, Zatulin, uh, the lawmaker in in uh, in the Russian state Duma, who's uh, make, made disparaging remarks not just about uh, uh, Kazakhstan, but Kyrgyzstan, but in the case of Kazakhstan, he was talking specifically about these northern territories where we know there are large ethnic Russian uh, population. Um, so I, th 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 there is this, you know, who who next feel? But then there's also the uh, the fact that Russia hasn't been performing particularly well in Ukraine, uh, to say the least. Uh, in light of the recent Ukrainian counteroffensive, and in light of the you know the thousands of soldiers that Russia has lost in that war, and if you're a CSTO member state, uh, you're looking at this war and constantly, if you know, perhaps in in the past, if you were Tajikistan, you will always felt uh, very comfortable knowing that Russia was your security guarantor. Should uh, should there be any incursion from Afghanistan, for instance? Nowadays, you're not only thinking about uh, Russia's behavior and its uh, aggression, but you may be thinking, like, uh, how well would, would they perform in, in defending our borders? Um, you know, how effective would the response be, even if Russia wanted to make an, a response? So you've got the question of whether, uh, you know, Russia wants to come to the aid of uh, these states when it's so involved in Ukraine and... Uh, the question of how effective it would be doing so. And it's it's very very uh, great insights, and so it sort of seems to me sort of like, you know, a double or double trouble because they're thinking, well, will they be able to come to our aid, and and why am I, you know, uh, are they going to lose this war, and what does that mean that that I'm, you know, at least not necessarily supporting them, but that I'm uh, in this group with them, uh, so. It, lots of uh, uncertainty, I guess, for, yeah, okay. here, um, for the CSTO. Um, and the second question I'd like to ask is related, um, I think, um, and you mentioned Tajikistan, um, 
uh, I'd like to ask about a few, some remarkable remarks uh, that Tajikistan's president, Emomali Rahman, uh, made pretty much directly to Putin uh, at a summit of the uh, Commonwealth of Independent States, or possibly it was a Central Asia Russia meeting uh, that was related. Apologies for that. Uh, in the Tajik capital, Dushanbe, on Friday. Now, he spoke about investment and culture and about the large number of Tajiks who work in Russia, um, send remittances home. Um, some of them are now fighting in, in the war in Ukraine. Uh, but mainly what he said was that Tajikistan wants more respect from Russia, from Moscow, and that it's not getting the respect it deserves. Now, to me, uh, it was not so much the content of what Rahman was saying that was striking, but... Uh, more the fact that he felt comfortable saying it publicly, essentially. Um, I don't know the details of whether his, his rant, as some are calling it, uh, was shown live uh, on, on TV in Tajikistan, but his remarks have been viewed millions of times on YouTube. Uh, Chris, what's your impression of Rahman's remarks? Do you think they say something about Russia's relationships uh, with Tajik? Uh, sorry, with Tajikistan and the other Central Asian countries, and, and how how those relationships may be changing. Uh, yes, uh, yes, Steve. I think that's absolutely right. Uh, you used the word uh, comfortable, and uh, what was really incredible about this uh, show, if you like, because uh, there was certainly some some theatre to it, was uh, Rahman's body language and uh, Putin's body language uh, and uh, the, the Russia-based Central Asia analyst Arkady Dubnov made this point about uh, Kazakhstan's president uh, Kasim Jomart Takayev and his appearance with uh, Putin at the St. Petersburg Econ Economic Forum back in June uh, where you have Takayev literally sharing a stage with, uh, with Putin and explaining to Margarita Simonyan of, of Russia Today who's been very critical of Kazakhstan, uh, called Kazakhstan out for disloyalty because it is uh, neutral in the Ukraine war and, and hasn't uh, recognized any of these separatist uh, entities in, in Russia and, of course, hasn't recognized the latest uh, annexation of those territories in, in eastern Ukraine. Um, <laughs> so, uh, during this appearance... Uh, Dubnov said that Takayev was so relaxed, you know, he was he was almost slouching in his chair uh, as he made these comments, which were uh, difficult, to say the least, for, for Putin to hear, given that they're supposed to be close allies and uh, given that Russia tends to view uh, countries like Kazakhstan as, as subordinate countries. And this is what we're seeing more and more uh, in, in Russia's relations with both partners uh, and and kind of lesser partners like Turkey, um, in in that um, Putin is no longer, uh, you know, he no longer looks like the senior partner in, in any of these relationships. If you would, you know, if you weren't looking at the content of Rahman's speech, if you weren't uh, analyzing the words he was saying, you would think that this is probably the senior partner talking to the junior partner. Uh, Putin, very reserved, um, clenched jaw, 
looked very tense uh, throughout the speech, didn't really know what to do. I think the speech had a, a similar effect on some of the other presidents there, to be fair. But, uh, but yeah, very much uh, Rahman not fearing uh, saying what he wanted to say. He had some points to make. Uh, he made them. And I think uh, what's interesting about Rahman's speech is uh, people took what they wanted to take from it. You know, some people saw it as uh, a uh, anti-colonial speech. Uh, other people saw it as a typical Soviet speech, a kind of plea uh, for more attention, more money, more investment uh, into the periphery from the center, as would have been the case uh, perhaps during the Soviet Union when uh, heads of Soviet republics negotiated with uh, with Moscow. So some people said, you know, there's no, no kind of anti-colonial uh, element to this speech. Other people just saw it as a rant. Uh, many people suggested that he was angry uh, at the way Putin had behaved a day earlier when Putin finally uh, stepped into this uh, border conflict with between Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan, uh, between Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan. Sorry, misspeak again. Uh, because he'd been ignoring this conflict for so long uh, to the extent that the Kyrgyz uh in in many senses felt that he favored rahman that he was giving uh tajikistan a free hand uh in this conflict putin finally intervenes at uh, kyrgyzstan's request and clearly uh offends rahman with the comment about the 2 million uh tajik citizens uh living working studying in russia because rahman goes back to that uh, during his speech and says actually only 600,000 are there for work. Uh, some of them, uh, you know, some of them are going through you and transiting into other countries, but oh no, they can't do that anymore because, um, you know, airlines have stopped uh, cooperating with Russia. And uh, then we've got these Beijingsi, uh, he refers to, to them as uh, refugees coming from Russia to escape mobilization. Uh, so he's he's making all of these uh, digs at Putin uh, that, that Putin really has no answer for. And I think, you know, one of the big subtexts of, uh, of Rahman's uh, speech was that, you know, you've landed us in a mess. Um, he referred to Russia as the strategic partner. That's, you know, that's not going to change. Russia's importance for Tajikistan uh, is is going to be something that's the, the case for the near future. Uh, it's a kind of sh structural dependence. But what he was saying was, well, you know, behave like a strategic partner then. Um, where are your investments? Uh, why are you only sending deputy ministers to our trade forums when uh, other countries get your ministers uh, or someone even more senior in the cabinet? Where is the respect for Tajikistan as a strategic uh, as a strategic partner. So I think, you know, this element of it was very interesting. And another interesting part of the speech was when he talked about this five plus one format. And he said, you know, Central Asian states, we've had enough of this five plus one. Uh, we've got America pl plus plus Central Asia. We've got this format Russia meeting with the, the heads of the Central Asian states. Uh, why can't you invest the time 
again as our strategic partner to do more work with us bilaterally. He said, you know, why don't you work with us uh, separately on our problems? So he really gave it to him with, uh, you know, both guns, uh, so to speak. And, and Putin didn't really have an answer for it, and, and everyone was stunned. And it was kind of, you know, a lot of people are, are taking pleasure, you know, the, the kind of schadenfreude element in seeing Putin getting shown up in these contexts so often, um, you know, humiliated in some senses uh, in, in these meetings, which used to be, you know, a display of Russian prestige or, or power. But I'm not sure that, you know, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan are taking too much pleasure from it because uh, they feel that they're getting all of Russia's problems uh, without getting, you know, maybe some of the benefits that they used to get. And all that Moscow now says to them is, well, uh, you are, you know, your, your migrants need us uh, in order to feed their families. And Rahman again makes the point, well, that's a, that's a two-way street because they're not just there to earn. Uh, they work. Uh, they, they do something for your country. And uh, if this is the only leverage that, that Russia now has over uh, countries like Kyrgyzstan and T Tajikistan, it's not that much leverage at all because uh, although it can occasionally use this migration card, uh, which it's fond of talking about, it is something that Russia requires. There is a uh, demographic deficit. There are jobs that Russians traditionally don't want to do that have been done by labor migrants from Central Asia. So Putin was. So I think you know Putin was clearly uh, taken aback by this. But there was both. I think on Rahman's part, both the intention to knock Putin down a peg or two, which we sometimes see from his uh, fellow. You know, Rahman and, and Lukashenko are both former uh, collective farm bosses, so maybe it's something in their character. We sometimes look, see Lukashenko challenge Putin in a similar way, um, despite his dependence on him. Um, but uh, it, it's actually quite rare that it comes from Central Asia. So this is new territory for Putin, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, lots, of, lots of really great Really great points, I think, Chris. Thanks very much. Um, I'll just try to <laughs> touch on a few of them. Um, you mentioned Lukashenko, and I guess Lukashenko and, and um, Rachman are kind of two of the longest-serving leaders. Though they've been around longer than um, probably all of the others, uh, at least uh, that I can think of right now. So maybe you know, there, you know, there's a certain element of, well, they're the ones who, who are prepared to do this. Uh, but as you say, you know, with Lukashenko, it's kind of a, there's always this sniping back and forth and this kind of, you know, you actually need me element, um, you know, maybe more or at least as much as I need you, um, uh, which, whichever is actually true. But, but as you say, it, it seems new, at least, you know, it seems new coming, coming from Tajikistan and coming from Central Asia. And, uh, also, interesting point about well, five plus one. How about you know one plus one? You know, uh, so you know that that's quite quite interesting. And um, just in general, you, you spoke about the the body language. Um, 
and I think it's really, you mentioned the word slouch, that, that Rachman was almost slouching. And that is a word that I definitely associate with, with Putin and his uh, meetings, uh, particularly um, actually with, with Hillary Clinton when she was U.S. Secretary of State. I remember one meeting, and there were probably more, in which he was literally slouching you know, very much and, and just kind of the body language was, you know, was, was, was very strong. So to see um, that kind of reversed, at least, or partially reversed, uh, you know, is, I think, striking, you know, striking to me. I think it's striking to, to a lot of people. And then there was a, another, you mentioned the, um, uh, sorry, you mentioned uh, Tokayev's uh, meeting with, with Putin. And then there's also, I believe, a time, Putin, of course, is notorious for being late to meetings. And there was a time recently where I believe it was Erdogan kept him waiting, um, if, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but, the, you know, and those are sort of super, say superficial, but body language um, is meaningful. And, and I think you provided a lot of the kind of detail about, about what's, you know, what's behind that and what Rahman uh was getting at. Okay, well, um, we're getting short on time, but let's, uh, as I said, let's take a few questions uh, if, if there are any. Piotr K. Uh, hi, Steve. Yeah, there's a delay from when you ask and when I joined the stage, so I didn't hear you asking. Um, yeah, good discussion. Uh, appreciate your time, Chris. Um, I've got a question broadly about um, the Central Asian region, given, you know, the war, Kazakhstan is really pivoting away from its multi-vector policy uh, and seemingly getting quite close with China. So... As we begin to see the Russians really deteriorate more, and I've got some friends in Kazakhstan who've been telling me about, you know, just how unwelcome the Russians are. Uh, I was hoping you could unpack a little bit more the um, Chinese-Kazakhstani relationship in the context of the region and after what we saw President Xi talking about in his um, party congress address yesterday, um, what that means for regional security, particularly, say, for Afghanistan or something like that. Thank you. Well, um... I didn't uh, study the, the party congress yesterday, but in terms of what, uh, in, you know, in terms of the Chinese-Kazakh relationships in, in, in particular, obviously Kazakhstan was uh, Xi Jinping's first foreign trip uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. He was, he was stopping off on the way to the Shanghai uh, Cooperation Organization Summit in Uzbekistan, but he made a point of talking about uh how how uh china was prepared to defend kazakhstan's territorial integrity uh and against f foreign meddling f by any power and you know I, I guess a few years ago those kind of messages would always be directed towards the west and and washington uh, but now the subtext was, uh, or, or you know, what, what observers and analysts saw in those comments was uh, a message to Russia that Kazakhstan is a very important uh, country for for China, 
and it doesn't want to see uh, any untoward actions on, on, on Russia's part. In terms of China's security role in the region, uh, it's a little bit more complicated for China because although it does have a uh, military facility in Tajikistan, uh, it's it's almost, a, I mean, it's a secret fa military facility. It's an open secret military facility. Uh, but uh, China does not yet have any uh, official uh, military bases uh, in the region. Uh, it doesn't have uh, any organization which commits it to defend uh, the region against uh, threats from outside or... Uh, you know, like uh, in internal threats either. It's traditionally not been very involved uh, in uh, security issues beyond holding drills, uh, the counter-terror terror drills, police drills, uh, some joint military drills, but there's been no indication from uh, China that uh, it sees itself as a competitor competitor to Russia as a security provider in Central Asia. But I think the, you know, what it's giving Central Asian countries at the moment is uh, a kind of diplomatic foothold, because if you think about the geographic position of the region, uh, there are, you know, it's, it's very far away from uh, so many other countries. There's a, there's a close relationship between most of the countries and Turkey, but Turkey's uh, a long way away. Uh, Europe is, is you know, over the Caspian Sea and beyond. Uh, so, you know, in, if, if Russia starts behaving erratically, and uh, I think we've seen at least since February that, that Russia has become a very uh, unpredictable uh, actor, uh, for, for for the Central Asian states as well, um, uh, th then at least with China you have this guarantee, you have a sense of what you're getting out of that relationship, you're having somebody that will at least say that they don't interfere in domestic politics, uh, doesn't appear to back one political faction over another in any of these countries uh, that guarantees a stable flow of investment. And again, going back to Rachman's uh, emotional speech last week, uh, very much the, 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 you know, very much the message of that speech was that Russia is not doing uh, what it used to do in terms of investment. Uh, that cudgel in recent years has been picked up by China. That's uh, that's their role for the region, and it's very much appreciated uh, in Central Asia. So there are clear kind of uh, negative aspects of the China Chinese relationship with Central Asian states from the perspective of perhaps you know boosting authoritarianism. Uh, that's a you know a negative perhaps for peoples of the region, but for the governments of the region, the Chinese relationship has become so much more important uh, after February. Okay, and I think Piotr wanted to ask a follow-up question, it looks like. His hand is raised, so let's uh, allow that and then see if there are uh, yeah. other questions. Yeah, just very quickly. Um, yeah, I appreciate all of that. So my, my follow-up question is obviously um, we've had a growing interest in the SEO, 
um, from countries like Iran, Turkey. Um, and given the inability for Russia to come to the support of Armenia via the CSTO, which and basically which has rendered the CSTO completely useless or redundant, uh, what do you think the impact of, uh, of those developments are going to be vis-a-vis -vis the future? Sort of, are you going to see more the SCO become the predominant security apparatus of the region, um, particularly if Russia threatens a nuclear warhead? Um, which could obviously make a lot of the central stand states very, very precarious. Um, what's your feelings on that sort of uh, dynamic? Yeah, th thanks for the question. I think, well, b basically because the SCO is in essence China-led uh, rather than Russia-led. You know, whenever you have these summits, uh, uh, you you know, you, you very much get that impression that uh, it is uh, China's vehicle of which uh, Russia is a part, but uh, but but China is 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 kind of in the driving seat. Um, I think it can't take over the CSTO. However, firstly, because of the you know the countries that are now members, you have uh, India and Pakistani membership at the same time. Um, clearly, the relationship uh, bet between those countries will will affect the bloc's ability to be. Co cohesive, you know, um, something like uh, collective self-defense just doesn't look on the cards for the SCO. And, you know, the SCO used to, uh, you know, it, it's now doing uh, less, I think, at least in terms of what's visible, uh, in terms of counter-terrorism training uh, and, and all the rest of it. It's doing less of that than it did, uh, you know, a, a few years back. And that's partly because it's expanded uh but but nowadays what i see with the seo is is just another forum um which can get a lot of uh countries under one roof at a given time and what's most important for the members i think uh provide opportunities for these bilateral meetings on the sidelines and particularly bilateral meetings with china which will be focused not on security uh, but on investment and, and, and trade, essentially. All right, thanks uh, for that follow-up, Chris. Uh, uh, and let's see if we have any more questions. I think we have time for, for another. If anyone wants to ask. Just give it a few more moments. All right. Um, not seeing any more questions, so I will um, wrap it up here. Uh, Chris, um, great comments really on um, CSTO and Rockmont and the SCO in China. Um, so uh, thanks very much for joining me, and I hope. Uh, hope uh, to have you again on the program sometime soon. Thanks very much, Steve. Thanks, everyone. All right. Once again, I've been speaking to Chris Rickleton, Central Asia Correspondent for RFERL. Uh, my name is Steve Gutterman, Editor for Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus in the Central Newsroom at RFERL. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, this conversation will also be published as a podcast, and you can subscribe to The Week Ahead in Russia and other RFERL podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Google, and other podcast platforms. 
I'll be back next Monday for another installment of The Week Ahead in Russia, and please keep an eye out uh, on Friday uh, for my newsletter, The Week in Russia. Thanks for listening.